0: Question. I I have a question. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson show across the state of Georgia. Glad to have you joining me this morning. And and I got a question. I I got a question and you can feel free to call me if you want. My phone number is 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. Question. Where is the blood on Brian Kemp's hands? Has anyone seen the blood on Brian Kemp's hands? Because I was told that uh, today would be the day we would see the blood on Brian Kemp's hands we are two weeks now removed. We are officially now two weeks removed from the, the state beginning to reopen and people uh, beginning to move out of their houses. Where is the blood on Brian Kemp's hands? I was told there would be blood. Uh, and if I want to see blood, I got to watch that movie. You know the movie. there. What is it? There will be blood. <laughs> there There's no blood. The, the number of people in hospitals in Georgia for COVID-19 continues to go down. The number of new daily infections continues to go down. The number of people dying continues to go down. The state is headed in the right direction. There are pockets of increase in the state. We know where those pockets of increase are. We know why they are happening. Uh, we know what to do to contain them. Uh, we have hospital capacity in the state. If the numbers surge again, people are headed out of their houses. Where is the blood on Brian Kemp's hands? The national media told us uh, we were all going to die in two weeks after Brian Kemp reopened the state. We are now uh, two weeks from Brian Kemp reopening the state. Where, Where are all the dead bodies? In fact, hang on a second. Let me step away from the microphone real quick. I, I'm I'm sorry. I just I needed to look out. The, there are no vultures in the sky this morning, hovering around the dead bodies. I I I don't see them there. uh no, let me look out there. There's not even I can't even see a cloud. There are no vultures. Where are all the dead bodies? Now we may get a surge. We may get an increase. In fact, the governor says there probably will be an increase. But that's been the whole point the whole time is that uh, we're going to see the numbers probably go back up some of people who get the virus. But we have the hospital capacity and the the bed space and the ICU capacity to deal with the issue. The belly aching from so many people is a little bit of a, 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 a silly, nonsensical thing. Now, the governor had a press conference Yesterday. And, uh, what he said is that bars and nightclubs have to stay closed till the end of the month. Uh, now there's a reason for this. There are actually a couple of reasons for this. Number one, uh, bars, nightclubs and live music venues. It's hard to get people when they're drinking to socially distance. And we still need people to socially distance. You still need to be wearing a mask on. So, by the way, by the way, um, so I, I'm seeing this thing. There's this thing that blew up last night with a, one of the the common good conservative types. You know, so th- there's this conservatism isn't good enough for some people anymore. And they've decided we need to reinvent it as, as common good conservatism, which is big government conservatism, which is the the big government gets to tell you how to live your life in a way that's good for everyone else around you. And uh, the rest of us would call this big government nanny statism. And they say, no, 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 it's one size fits all conservatism. We can't have regionalism. We can't have federalism. We have to have the nanny state in Washington tell us what to do and we comply with it. And it is conservatism. They can't really tell us what it means beyond that, but it's common good conservatism. And I see one of the leaders of the common good conservatism online last night saying, uh, wearing a mask is cowardice. You wear a mask out of fear. Why are you wearing a mask? Wearing a mask is ridiculous. We we, we should defy any law that tells us to wear a mask. Y'all, those of you who, who know anything about guns, which is probably three quarters to, to nine-tenths of my audience, which reminds me, i got to go to Barrow Automotive and buy me a new gun just because. Got to help the economy, you know. If you don't know where Barrow Automotive is, you you need to educate yourself. But nonetheless, most of you have guns why don't you put your finger on the trigger when you have a gun why, why why do you keep your i mean if you've gone through a gun safety class they teach you not to keep your finger casually on the trigger why why is it because you're scared of the gun you don't put your finger on the trigger because you're scared you're 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 a fearful little little worry wart no you, you don't do it because it's good gun safety You don't do it because of respect for people around you. You you don't do it because accidents can happen. Same thing with the mask. People aren't wearing a mask because they're scared. People aren't wearing a mask because they, they fear getting sick. No, you get the mask on because about half the people who get this virus will never even know they've had it, and they spread it to other people who die. Do you hear about the woman in in Great Britain? She was a railroad worker. Uh, Some guy got mad at her because he wasn't doing what she wanted him to do uh, to comply with social distancing and wearing a mask, and he spit in her face and said he had the virus. She's dead. Yep, she died of the virus. Guy actually did give it to her. Reminds me of the the bus driver in Chicago who the woman started berating him uh, for not socially distancing. Uh, He made her get off the bus. She had the virus. He died. The bus driver did. She lived he died. you don't you, you wear the mask to be socially responsible. you don't have to wear the mask everywhere but if you go into the grocery store and there's a bunch of people do it you go into the grocery store there's nobody around don't worry about it. you in the live you're in the drive-through at chick-fil-A don't necessarily worry about it they, they got themselves covered up themselves. you're good. But it's about you trans, accidentally transmitting the virus, not even knowing you're sick to other people. That's how the virus is spreading so much, because you start becoming contagious well before you know you're sick. And in many cases, you never know you're sick. The, but this whole idea of of I, I, the, the mass social irresponsibility is, is nonsensical to me. It's, it's crazy that the common good conservatives are the ones out there saying, don't wear the mask. Turns out they're all just a bunch of libertarians which suggests they won't be very successful with the advance of anything. No 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 offense to my libertarian friends, but when's the last time any of you guys actually got elected to something substantive? But okay, seriously though, where's the blood on Brian Kemp's hands? Because we were told that everyone was going to die and we didn't. Now, he came out yesterday with this press conference. Bars and nightclubs, you got to stay closed. Uh, live and you stay closed because, as I said, when you're drinking, you're not socially distancing, you're having a good time. And um, those seem to be in the places that have reopened and saw rebounds. That seems to be a big factor in the rebound is the social interactions with people who have been drinking tends to help spread the virus. So those are going to be closed. Restaurants, though, can add more people. You'll now be able to have tables up to 10, from 6 to 10. And you'll be able to have more people in your restaurant. People still got to be socially distanced, but you can add more people per square foot to your restaurant, which is a good thing. Uh, Overnight summer camps, gone. Can't happen this summer, at least not yet. Uh, They'll look at them again at the beginning of the month, uh, the beginning of June, but right now, gone. Uh, But day camps, uh, you will be able to ship your kid off for a day somewhere. You just won't be able to keep them there overnight. The data in Georgia, we, we will probably see a, a bit of a spike. And in certain areas of the state, we for sure will see bits of spikes. Uh, we, we've seen this up in Gainesville with the poultry producers. We will probably see this in some other parts of the state. But overall, the data is good in the state of Georgia. We have more available hospital space now than at any time. We have fewer people in hospitals today with the virus than at any time since the major flare-up in, in Darty County. We have fewer dead people per day than at any time. We have fewer daily new cases. We're, we're doing well as a state, and people are doing what they need to do. People are still managing to be socially distant from one another. There are 273,904 total tests given so far. Um, a major skyrocket, because this time last week, if you'll recall, this time last week, uh, we were barely over. Uh, to we were right at two hundred thousand. Uh, we we've gone up seventy three thousand nine hundred four since then, which is great. Thirty five thousand two hundred forty seven new cases, about a thousand new cases reported. Six thousand two hundred twenty eight total hospitalizations. That number is is stabilizing. The daily rate is actually really good. The daily rate continues to show georgia is doing what it needed to do the projections the seven-day moving average continues to decline for the state you know you can go now on the state and see the 70 moving average for every individual county let's do floyd county real quick in floyd county wow floyd county you're you're just wow, you you nose dive you, you spiked and then you went down that's great You've got, uh, April 27th was your high day. You had four cases. Let's see. May 1st, May 1st, you had three cases. May 3rd, you had one case. Uh, now that'll still go up some, but that that's great news. You're headed in the right direction in Floyd County. What about deaths in Floyd County? You haven't had anybody die since April 25th. You had one death on April 25th. You had two deaths on April 23rd. Uh, you you're not having a lot of deaths in Floyd County. Now, what about, let's see, let's do Habersham County. Let's do Habersham County. Uh, in Habersham County, your cases, eh, you, you haven't crashed as much as Floyd. Your 70 moving average doesn't look as good. There's been a slight uptick, uh, 28 confirmed cases on April 29th. But your peak was April 20th of 28. You had a, a spike on the 28th, but otherwise you've had a downward trajectory which is good. Your 70 moving average is still headed in the right direction. What about deaths? You had a a death on the first, you had a death on the, on the, on the 27th, a death on the 28th. Nope. You've had no deaths since the 29th. So you've been good. You had two people die on the 24th. One last one. I can't do them all, but I'm going to do three of them to give you a sense of it in Bibb County where I am in Bibb County. uh, They said we would not hit our peak until mid-May We're we're at mid-May. And we're not near the highs that we were on April 20 on April 9th. There were 42 confirmed cases on April 27th. There were 26 on April 29th. There were three. What about deaths? Deaths, Yes. The the spike came April 28th. That was the peak day for deaths. That was three on the 29th one. And thereafter none. So. It looks like the state is actually doing what the state needs to do. It looks like the people of the state are doing what they need to do. And, and that's the incumbent thing here is that uh, you as, as a people are going to be more responsible for whether the virus spreads or not than the governor letting you out of your house. There's still no reason for you to go out willy-nilly, go out and grocery shop. Now you can go to a restaurant with with friends of yours who you trust or are good friends, and you're not out and about in crowds. Stay out of the crowds. Limit where you're going. But, y'all, we were told on April 20th when the governor, or April 21st, the governor had his press conference and said that shelter-in-place would expire on April 29th, or April 30th, rather. People would be allowed out of their houses at midnight, uh, the week before that, barber shops and tattoo parlors could reopen, and everyone said nationally the governor is going to kill us all. And now we've got two polls out. By the way, there's a third poll out. This poll is from a Republican firm friendly to the governor that says 51% of the state approves of what he's doing. Uh, they're the accurate pollster that actually got everything right when it came to uh, whether or not reopening was good. But there are a series of, of national polls out that look like uh, the governor's just doom and gloom. Democrats are mad at him for opening early. Republicans are mad at him for ever closing. But the data has been on the governor's side. Will there be an increase in Georgia? Yes. There will probably be an increase in the virus in Georgia. As more and people get out of their houses and more and more people um, uh, reduce their, their guard let their guard down and start going out, there will probably be some more cases. But not the spikes we saw. And where there are spikes, we know where they're coming from and how to contain them. This is really good news for the state of Georgia, y'all. This is good news. People are doing what they need to do. The governor was guided by the data. Contrary to what so many people in the media said, the governor was actually guided by the data. He was actually guided with Dr. Kathleen Toomey to reopen the state of Georgia. The state is slowly reopening. Do you know the New York Times today says that it looks like we are we are at the peak of job losses? that uh, we will not see major spikes in job losses from here on out, the economy beginning to slowly recover. And by the way, you know, you've still got PPP out there. If you need PPP for your business, uh, check my friends at First Liberty Building and Loan in Noonan. There's still money in the program, which is actually a good sign that there has not been a major rush on more money, even as Congress is prepared to add more money to it now. If you need it, go to firstlibertyga.com. That's their website at First Liberty of Georgia. You can actually click on the website. You can apply. There's an apply now button. You can apply on their website and they can help you. If you're listening to me anywhere in the United States, they can help you. It doesn't just have to be in Georgia. Anywhere in the United States, you need PPP. They're a small business lender. They've been doing it since the early 90s First Liberty Building and Loan in Noonan. I've sent a number of people there now and all of them have gotten PPP. Now, here's the thing they can't guarantee it but they wanna do their best. You gotta get your payroll paperwork in order. Anything that proves your payroll, your quarterly filings, whatever, you need to get it in order. But if your business needs PPP, go to firstlibertyga.com, click the apply now button and get it done. The economy is rebounding. The money is there. It looks like the job losses have slowed. The state is reopening. The virus continues to slow down in the state. Warm weather is upon us. That's going to be a good sign. There's a lot of good news out there, and we should not get bogged down in daily death tolls and avoid pointing out that we are headed in the right direction as a state. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. I want you to go get a bottle of Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce. You can go to mrsgriffins.com if you want. Uh, The reason being is because uh, you can uh, buy two, get one free and you need it you know i actually had a listener who emailed me overnight sunday who got a bottle of mr griffin's barbecue sauce for mother's day because that's what she wanted because i said it was good and it is i don't say it's good because i'm getting paid to say it i say it's good because we use it in our house in fact i got my rec Tech smoker y'all it showed up it actually showed up in the last half hour of this program yesterday and i did not bail on you and and all of a sudden throw on a best of i waited until the show was over and then i went outside and I put my Rectech RT700 the Bull together. <laughs> I gotta say something. All right, I'm deeply impressed already with this machine. I actually am, but man, the instructions were terrible. <laughs> so, okay, <clears throat> excuse me. That was terribly unprofessional. Me coughing towards the microphone. So I, I, I get this. I, I, I get this. Uh, <laughs> um. They, they, I get this grill, and it comes with all these pieces, and then it has a box of, of screws, and it has labels for the screws. Like there's the 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 large bolts are like A, the small bolts are B, the the small washers are C, the the large washers are D, and the like. You you get it. Um, there's no reference to them in in the instructions. None. There there is there is no reference. To, to what what washers and bolts and nuts uh, to use <laughs> I just i I mean I was just beside like what where is it? and then I wound up missing four screws but they were very nice I called them and they directed me to a YouTube video that shows you and, and shows you pictures it doesn't give you the letters of the nuts and bolts to put together but it shows you a picture and, and then they overnighted me in fact it'll be here in the next hour I just got an email from ups and in, in the next hour I'll get the four screws that were missing nonetheless uh I was already impressed with it yesterday. Yes, I'm going to have a, a small segue here in, into why I chose Rectech over Traeger or, or anything else. This isn't an ad. They're not even paying me. Apparently, Glenn Beck is doing a giveaway with the Rectech people, but but not me. Um, nonetheless, okay, so so why? Um, they? So I, I have had a big green egg for years. I got to figure out what to do with it now, but I've had a big green egg for years and I love my big green egg, uh, but I'm at the point now where I I know how to use the big green egg I don't use it for grilling. I only use it for smoking. So I want something with larger capacity that I didn't have to fiddle with as much. I can just set it and forget it, so to speak. And with a pellet grill, you can. But let's say I do want a grill on it. A Traeger cannot get as hot as a Rectech. Um, Rectech actually gets hotter than other pellet grills out there, including a Yoder. Uh, it gets hotter than those other grills. Uh, so you can get up to 560 degrees. Uh, you can actually sear a steak. Uh, it comes with searing rods you can get. Uh, to make sure that you're able to do it well, you can use a cast iron skillet if you want, but it also gets really slow. Uh, I, one of the criticisms of a of a pellet grill is you don't get the same wood smoke flavor that you do from a from a uh, big green egg or a whole wood smoker because the pellets don't produce as much. With the RecTech, it actually can hold a temperature at 180 and generate a lot of smoke. So your first hour. You can smoke something at 180 and make it very smoky and then raise the heat to 225, uh, and it's not as smoky uh, thereafter, and it holds its heat. The other great thing about the RecTech as opposed to the Traeger is I can increase and decrease temperature by five-degree increments, which is great. Uh, for I can bake bread on it and stuff like that. So am, I'm very impressed with the machine. Uh, it was a pain in the butt to put it together because the directions weren't fantastic. But once you got it together, and I can control it remotely with my cell phone if I wanted to, it has an app. You can turn it on while you're out on the lake fishing and then come home and it's hot and ready to go. We'll be back with actual news and no more grilling. It is Eric Erickson here, and I will take your phone calls. I can, if you want me to. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Okay. Now, we need to discuss polling. Oh, the polls, the polls. Uh, There are a series of polls out in Georgia from Republican groups. And those Republican groups are at odds with each other. The Speaker of the House of Representatives has a poll out showing that the governor sucks and he's awesome. The governor now has a poll out showing that uh, the governor is is not not great, but he's okay. He's fifty one percent support, forty eight percent. Everyone strongly strongly has a strong opinion on whether or not to support the governor or whatnot. Um. Here's the thing that all the polls agree on. And by the way, there's a media poll out that also shows Governor Kemp has been hit. Uh it, let me hang on a second. Um I I apologize. I should have done this sooner. AJC, I'm going to the Atlanta Journal Constitution, uh where is the uh yes, here we go. Um this the poll is conducted by Public Opinion Strategies, which is actually a good poll. Uh, Let me give you some of the data here um, from Public Opinion Strategies. Let me see if I can zoom in here and get you the methodology. Yeah, Glenn Bolger is good, and he's one of the the pollsters who has been done in the past. Um, Oh, look, 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 look. This is different. This is different. Now, why is this different? This is actually a credible poll because this was a... Phone poll. This was a poll with people by phone. This was not a re, remember the poll that the speaker of the house released was text message. It was online polling and text message and robocall. This was actually a poll of people with cell phones. A statewide telephone survey, which means they called cell phones, which means this is a more accurate poll than what the speaker of the house released to to slam Brian Kemp and Kelly Loeffler. And this poll actually shows that Governor Kemp, let me read you, a slim majority, 51% approve of Kemp's decision in April to allow some shuttered businesses to reopen, 47% disagree. A higher number, 58%, back his move to lift the shelter-in-place order for most Georgians, 41% disapprove. So more people want to get out of the house than go to businesses. And guess what? It looks like that is translated into the real world. I mean, have y'all been out and seen? There are definitely more people out, but still not a ton of people. Uh, Donald Trump has a slight intensity advantage over Joe Biden, with 43% of voters saying they'll definitely vote for him, compared with 39% who uh, vote for the Democrat, but they're otherwise tied. Three-quarters of voters agree with this statement. Even though I am going to continue staying at home, giving certain businesses the right to reopen as long as they follow strict health measures like wearing masks, limiting customers and practicing social distancing is the right thing to do. On testing, Georgians are split over whether they will take a test as soon as possible or only if necessary, 43 to 44. 6% said they'll never take a test. Two-thirds say they're worried about someone in their family getting the virus. 44% say they know someone who's been affected. Now, here's more of it. Um, Leffler is at 18% in this poll with Doug Collins at 19% and Matt Lieberman at 17%. Uh, Raphael Warnock, backed by the National Democrats, is at 9%. And he just got his divorce through, by the way. David Perdue is 43-41 to against John Ossoff. Uh, Shane Hazel, the Libertarian, has 7% of the vote. 8% are undecided. Biden is at 47%. Trump is at 46%. Now, here's the thing. Um, There are a couple of things to keep in mind. Obviously, the governor team wanted this poll out there to combat the one pushed by the Speaker of the House that used text messaging, uh, which is not an accurate uh, survey form. But the Speaker of the House wanted to do damage to the governor uh, and to Kelly Leffler. It, it really had more to do with Leffler than the governor. Remember that in uh, the Speaker's polling, Kelly Leffler, the current senator from Georgia, was b- way behind Doug Collins. She was in single digits, and Collins was, was crushing the field which didn't really strike anybody as right uh, because there have been a lot of private polling done. And I was told that there was a private poll done by the governor's team that actually showed that. And I don't think this is it because this poll is too new. But they clearly wanted to get a poll out uh, that showed that the 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 garbage poll from the state House Republicans designed to, to – hurt Kelly Loeffler and the and the governor was wrong. Now, why would David Ralston want to hurt his own governor? After all, he stood there at the press conference with the governor saying it was time to reopen. Well, you got to remember there are big fights to come. Uh, Democrats in the House of Representatives in Georgia are trying to get a hate crimes bill through because of the Ahmaud Arbery situation. Now, I am opposed to hate crimes legislation because it's a thought crime. When you kill someone, the odds are you hate that person to begin with. Uh, So why tack on a a hate crime to it? Uh, A hate crime just adds one more way for a prosecutor to go after you, and what they're going after you for are your thoughts. And we should not criminalize thoughts. However bad your thoughts are, thoughts should not be criminalized, and a hate crime is a thought crime. And we should not be criminalizing people's bad thoughts. Uh, we should criminalize what they actually do. And we can ta- let a jury take into account with sentencing uh, if someone is doing something because of what their motives are. But adding a thought crime to it, I, I just, I think it's wrong. And I've got friends of mine who have come around on the idea of hate crimes. I'm, I am unpersuaded. I think it's a thought crime. And I do not think that under our constitutional system, we should be criminalizing thought. But the Speaker of the House needs to stay in power with the Democrats. He's got to have Democrats support him to stay in power. And so the Speaker wants hate crimes legislation. So he's trying to build momentum for that and for other things he also you will recall doesn't want to give teachers a pay raise so the speaker needs to to show he's got more clout than the governor on that and he also wants to get through a bunch of other stuff in addition to taking out some of the anti-corruption candidates in the state like philip singleton uh and and put in some more of his apologists in the state legislature so he's got to show that he's got more power in the state right now and to do that he's got to release a poll and so he did And the media, of course, ran with it, never paying attention to the methodology, which was terrible. Text messaging as a poll, seriously? Online polling and text messaging combined for a poll? It's embarrassing. Uh, But the media ran with it exactly as they expected. Now, the governor had to release his poll to show he's doing well. But one of the interesting things here, and I am led to believe I have not seen it, Sometimes I get shown these things. Sometimes I don't. This is one of the times I was not shown this. I am led to believe there is actually other polling out there that shows very similar to this, that a slight majority of Georgians are okay with the governor reopening the state slowly. A large majority of Georgians aren't going to go out and about. And Doug Collins is doing well, but not as well as as some polls would have him do. Doug Collins and, and I'll get into more of the Doug Collins Kelly Leffler race in the next hour. But Collins has continued to pick up support. I'm not sure at this point what the campaign is, uh, what the campaign play is for for Leffler, um, the governor. I, I I have maintained all along I'll support her because the governor picked her. I don't know her. Uh, I do know Doug Collins and I like him tremendously, and he'd be great. But I just I give the governor the benefit of the doubt on this. But it looks like a lot of people aren't. What they are giving him the benefit of the doubt on is reopening to a degree. But it's very interesting when you delve into the polling. The governor of Georgia is being punished by some Republicans because they are resentful that he ever closed up shop to begin with. And he's being punished by a large number of Democrats who are upset he opened at all. It is a no-win situation for the governor. Uh, And if anything, I think you give him some credit for trying to reopen at a time when a lot of people have been telling him no. And he looked at the data. He talked to his advisors and they said, yeah, give it a try. And he is. And thus part seems to be working. Now that gets me to Dr. Fauci's testimony yesterday in Congress. He had a big interaction with Rand Paul and Rand Paul made a very good point. I I, I don't want to go into the audio of Rand Paul because it was about seven minutes long. And I don't, this is my show, Rand Paul can get his own show. I, I say that, just look, I, I like Rand Paul tremendously, and he made a great point. And I think um, I, I disagreed with him to some degree in that there are big questions now. What all did Dr. Fauci get wrong? And I, I want to defend Dr. Fauci, and I realize I'm going against many of you as well who, who are blowing up Dr. Fauci. He was only as wrong as the data was and only as right as the data was. And as the data shifted, he shifted. And I, I think that's what he as an epidemiologist needs to do. As a doctor, he needs to do. He, he specializes in communicable infectious diseases. He has been advising presidents since Ronald Reagan. He is not a partisan, but his job is health. This is what's happening and what is is part of my frustration with the attacks on Dr. Fauci. President Trump is listening to Dr. Fauci. He's listening to Dr. Fauci over his economic team. To the extent that Dr. Fauci is asked to advise the president, he's asked to advise the president on epidemiology. And so he's giving the president his answers on epidemiology. If the president wants to go about opening the economy, he needs to talk to the economists, not to Dr. Fauci. And then consult with Dr. Fauci, who says, okay, doctor, I understand you don't want us to do this, but if we were to do it, what should we do? That's not the way the game is being played, and he's being made to be the bad guy by a bunch of people who never thought we should have sheltered a place to begin with let me play some of his testimony from from yesterday thank you dr rodfield i have a final question for each of our our great witnesses today and it's one that uh, my constituents often ask me now i gotta pause here because that is kelly leffler and if it sounds echoey it is because that is the nature of the call. It was done by live streaming with Dr. Fauci. You do need to know that, but this is, is Senator Leffler asking him a question. Uh, the mainstream media and indeed some of my colleagues in the Senate seem to want to paint each of your relationships with our president during this wartime effort as confrontational and lacking consensus. Can you categorically say here to the American people today, whether this is true or untrue
1: from your testimony today, I've seen a very coordinated effort to address
2: this with the administration to combat this pandemic.
1: Can you give me a sense of whether this character, what the characterization uh, is, is, whether it's true or untrue? Thank you. I'd ask Dr. Fauci to answer that first.
3: Yes, no. There is certainly not a confrontational relationship between me and the president. Uh, As I've mentioned many times, I give uh, advice an opinion based on evidence-based scientific information. Uh, he hears that, uh, he respects it, he gets opinions from a variety of other people, but in no way, in my experience over the last several months, has there been any confrontational relationship between us. Thank,
1: Thank you, you Dr. Dr. Redfield, Dr. Hahn.
3: Again, I would echo what uh, Dr. Fauci
2: said. Um, we're there to give our best public health device, um, and that's what we do. And, grounded in data and science, um, and uh, I've always felt free to give the best public health uh, advice that I think uh, needs to be given at the time, and it's always been done in a very professional way.
3: Senator Luffler, this is Steve Hahn. Um, uh, I do not have a confrontational relationship, have not had a confrontational relationship with the President. He asks questions, um, I have given him my honest answers rooted in data and science. Um, and he's listened respectfully uh, to those uh, incorporating that into his decision making. And
2: Brett, I have nothing else but to, to echo uh, my colleagues. We work very closely together, um, all the scientists, all the physicians, uh, of course, Ambassador Burks, uh, other scientists within our group. Um, we have a very productive working relationship with each other and also uh, with the president and vice president. It would not be confrontational, and I certainly feel that we have the ability to honestly state uh, our opinions and recommendations. Uh, and that's been,
3: uh, that way since the beginning.
0: Okay. First of all, I, I can't help but note that Kelly Loeffler's voice there is kind of like the dystopian robot voice you hear in sci-fi movies. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Redfield. I have, I have a, a final question. question for- I'm sorry. I know it's not her fault, but I'm just listening. I'm like, where have I heard this before? Total recall, I think. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, her, I'm glad she asked the question got it on the table. And, and this gets to the point um, where Rand Paul's right. Dr. Fauci should not be the final authority on reopening the government of the United States and, and the businesses of the United States and the economy of the United States. He should not be the final authority. And to the extent he is, it's because the president is letting him be. All his job is to do is to answer the health questions as an expert, answer those questions. And what this shows, and you know, this is something that the Democrats are ignoring about the president. That the president continues to let Dr. Fauci lead on this suggests they actually are letting Dr. Fauci and the experts do their work. You know, we, we've heard so long that uh, the experts are being ignored by this White House, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The reason there's so much anger at Dr. Fauci is because the president is letting him be. He's letting him work. He's listening to him. That's completely different from what you hear in the media. And I guess to some extent, the Republicans get it, and they're trying to signal that, Mr. President, you don't need to listen to this guy anymore. We need to reopen the economy. But the president has taken it slow here. Yes, he wants the economy to reopen, but he also knows that if the virus rebounds, he's going to lose in November. So he's letting Fauci do his work, and poor Fauci is caught in the middle. I do not think he's a bad guy, and, and I, I really do think that you've got to recognize that the man is doing what he was trained to do. And he's an expert in that regard. How is it already the end of the first hour? And by the way, my RecTech parts just showed up. Excellent company. I, I, I'm impressed. Um, I, I, how, how is this the end of the first hour? Um, apparently it is. One more clip from Dr. Fauci, please. Are we fearful that if we don't get our act together, as
3: bad as the situation is now, it could become worse uh, in the fall or winter? Well, Senator, thank you for that question. It's a frequently asked question. And I think that a possibility does exist. However, and the reason I say that is that when you talk about, will this virus just disappear? And as I've said publicly many times, that is just not gonna happen because it's such a highly transmissible virus. And even if we get better control over the months, it is likely that there will be virus somewhere on this planet that will eventually get back to us. So my, my approach towards the possibility of a rebound and a second wave of the fall is that A, it's entirely conceivable and possible that it would happen, but B, I would hope that between now and then, given the capability of doing the testing that you've heard from <coughs> Admiral Giroir, and the ability of us to stock up on personal protective equipment and the workforce that the CDC under Dr. Redfield will be putting forth to be able to identify, isolate, and contact trace. I hope that if we do have the threat of a second wave, we will be able to deal with it very effectively to prevent it from becoming an outbreak, not only worse than now, but much, much less.
0: You know, that's the thing. Uh, the, the data, the data suggests. That by August or September, we will have uh, more information, more resources, and uh, we will have more opportunity to combat the virus if it rebounds. And by the way, there continues uh, in Europe, as more and more studies come out, there continue to be signs that show that kids aren't getting the virus. There are some kids who are getting uh, something like Kawasaki syndrome, uh, which can be fought. Uh, is a very serious condition, but overwhelmingly are fine and don't transmit it to adults. This is a, a disease that is, is more dangerous the older you get or the more unhealthy you get, you know, by the way, as, as I, as someone who is now having to watch what I eat and exercise and try to lose weight, <laughs> um, which sucks, but I got to, uh, I'm amazed that there hasn't been more coming out from people demanding that people lose weight. I realize we're in this uh, we're in this day and age where fat shaming and, and body shaming is, is a bad thing. As someone who is overweight and needs to lose weight and has been going to the gym, man, I am so ready to get back to the gym next week. It's just something that's got to be done. And the data on this virus shows that uh, the, the heavier you are the worse health you are, the worse you do with the virus. The greatest thing that any of us could do to help fight this virus is to get in shape, lose weight and get in shape. And no one wants to raise that. And and I'm wondering why exactly? And why aren't we focusing more on our nursing homes and elder care facilities? You had the governor of New York demanding that positive uh, patients be sent to nursing homes. Why exactly? Were they doing that? Why did that happen? That, we've got real issues here that need to be dealt with. And and all the, is, how much of political correctness is impeding our ability to do that? I, I think it's something that's got to be raised. But I also think what has to be raised is that there are ways to begin reopening the the economy. Brian Kemp has largely shown the way in Georgia. He is actually showing stay at home unless you need to go out. And if you want to go out, take precautions, wash your hands, wear a face mask, uh, socially distance from other people. If you're in a group of people, keep it a small group of people. There are ways to go about doing this. And it looks like it's working. Now, we're probably going to see rates in Georgia go up. We probably are. Maybe we won't. I hope we won't. But we we very well may as people start to lower their guard. But we also have summer. If summer ever comes, I'm beginning to wonder if summer is actually ever going to come but i think it is and i think we're going to be able to move on now when we come back we need to get into actual georgia politics you know uh, there's more to life than the virus and i feel like what we, we, I'm, I'm trying more and more to bring in other stuff uh for a while there it seemed like it was the only thing we could talk about it's the only thing we, that was uh a topic but now i i definitely think it's time to move on uh there is a campaign on there is a presidential campaign on there are also two senate races in georgia And there is an attack out on David Perdue we need to get to when we come back. And also more in the polling on the Collins and Leffler situation. And Doug Collins continuing to pick up steam around around the state right now. Why, hello there. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson show, believe it or not the phone number. If you want to call in 877-97 Eric, 87-973-7425. Mark Lauder from the Trump campaign is going to join me at the bottom of the hour. As we look at the joke, man, poor Joe Biden. I, I feel bad for the guy. I do. He's a nice guy, but his campaign just still strikes me as elder abuse. Uh, There is polling. I I just, by the way, I I got a text message from a reporter in in Washington, D.C. who said, uh, latest polling shows the president and Joe Biden tied in Georgia. Uh, Do you still think it's not going to be close in Georgia? And I I replied back during the break, and I said, no, it's not. I don't know why this happens in Georgia. But in 2018, Stacey Abrams led the Republicans, who are still battling it out uh, for their primary. In 2016, at this time, Hillary Clinton uh, was ahead of Donald Trump. In 2014, Michelle Nunn and uh, Jason Carter were ahead of David Perdue and Nathan Deal. In 2012, Barack Obama and Mitt Romney were tied. I, I don't know why that happens. Uh, my guess is that uh, the pollsters at this time of year, they're, they're doing a more broad uh, uh, registered voter poll. Uh, they're not doing a likely voter poll, and, and the pool of likely voters in Georgia is fundamentally different. I mean, ask the Abrams camp. The Abrams camp registered 980,000 people to vote in 2018. It was really impressive, and it made Republicans a lot of nervous. Less than 100,000 of those newly registered voters actually turned out and voted in 2018. Uh, if you, you know, they say in finance, for example, you all, you, you hear this. You turn on CNBC, you're going to see an ad for a stock or a mutual fund. And at the end, they're going to say, past performance is no indication of future value. Slow down. It's past performance is no indication of future value or future performance. They just say it real fast. Past performance is no indication of future performance. You're like, what? What did, what did they just say? Well, you know, in, in the stock market, that's true. Your, your past performance is no indication of future performance or past past performance is no indication of future value. But in politics, it's everything. There is a a thing called inertia. Do you remember inertia from from middle school and high school physics? Maybe college if you were super nerdy. Objects in motion tend to stay in motion. And objects at rest tend to stay at rest unless a force is applied. Inertia is in human nature as much as it is in, in, in... physics. You know, when, if you throw a ball, let, let's go to outer space. Let's go to outer space, shall we? Not that we can breathe in outer space, but if you were able to throw a ball in outer space, the ball would continue to go forward. Why? Because there's no wind resistance in outer space to slow it down. An object in motion continues in motion until force is applied to stop it., uh, you go to the moon and, and you remember that the if you ever saw one of the videos of them hitting a golf ball on the moon, then the golf ball just flies off the moon. Well, it it comes back eventually very far away because of gravity that that is the the force that is applied to bring the golf ball back. But uh, there's so little gravity on the moon uh, that the it can go far away. You get a good batter up there, hit, hit a good baseball, you, you may be able to send it into orbit around the moon. And the same thing with, with a boulder, a boulder on the side of a mountain. That boulder is going to stay there until there is a force, an earthquake or something uh, that causes the mountain to shake and the boulder begins to roll and the boulder will begin to roll downhill, uh, and an object at rest will continue to stay in rest until force is applied, the force is applied, and the object at motion continues to stay in motion until force is applied. Friction of rubbing against the ground, gravity pulling it, the ground evening out, it, it's it's going to slow down. Now, I realize none of you were here for, for morning signs but hey, your kids have been homeschooled and I just helped you out. But the reality is, It works in politics as well. A registered voter who has never voted is more likely than not to never vote. A voter who always votes is more likely than not to always vote unless something happens. So you can go out and you can register every freaking American. I mean, you can go out and register toddlers to vote. You can register the dead to vote. You can well, the dead have a propensity to vote, so you probably don't want to do that. Uh, but everyone else, you go out and register them, and the odds are, if they don't normally vote, they're not going to vote. And if they do normally vote, they will vote. But someone who is a, a a grown person who is in their 40s who has never voted in their life, the odds of getting them to go vote for you are pretty slim to none. It's political inertia. And I suspect what's happened in the polls is they go out and they find registered voters. And, and, you know, thanks to Stacey Abrams, everybody's registered to vote in Georgia. And so they say, oh, you're a registered voter. Who are you going to vote for? Well, I'm going to vote for the Democrat. Well, turns out that person's never actually voted in their life. You, you know, so there's a there's a great – if you're running for office, I highly recommend – this is not an ad. It's actually a friend of mine. Uh, my buddy Drew Ryan. A uh, longtime friend of mine, he's got a he's got a program called Campaign Sidekick. If you're if you're running for office, if you're interested in running for office, you should totally Google Campaign Sidekick. What what is what is their website? It's actually really cool technology. Campaign Campaignsidekick.vote. Campaign Every even heroes need sidekicks, it says. Um, so what is what is campaign sidekick? It's actually really cool tech. It's a software app. You can get it on your phone. And you can load this thing. You're running for office. And again, remember, voters who vote tend to always vote. Voters who don't vote tend to never vote. So you pull this app up on your phone. You're running for office. You're running for, let's say, city council. And so you, 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 you pay Campaign Sidekick for its data, and it shows you everyone in your district for city council or for county commission or for, uh, for countywide or for your state house or state senate or congressional race, whatever, Uh, I I believe Collins and Leffler are both using Campaign Psychic, I think. I haven't asked Drew, but I've heard from the campaigns. Both campaigns asked me about it, and I love the program. So you can pull up the data of every voter in the area where you're running for office and see who actually votes. And you can see if they vote in primaries, which primaries do they vote in? Do they vote in Republican primaries or Democratic primaries? Because, you know, if you're going to knocking on doors or you're doing mail pieces or you're doing robocalls or you're doing phone banks for, for a candidate, there's really no reason for you, if you're a Republican running for office, there's no reason for you to call someone who always votes in Democratic primaries because, you know, the odds are they're going to vote in the Democratic primary, not the Republican primary, and they're probably a Democrat who's going to vote against you in the general. So there's no reason to get that person involved in the election and In fact, you don't want that person to be touched at all by anybody. Keep them on the sidelines, but you can do this. It's actually so cool. I used to do this. So when I was a campaign consultant, well, I was a lawyer for years and man, I I, I love practicing law. Uh, but I hated this thing called a client and, and they were indispensable to the practice of law and, and because I, I detested them so much I had to get out of the practice of law because you, you can't practice law without having to deal with these things called clients, because they all have problems and they all know the solution, and all they want is your affirmation as a lawyer that their solution is right when it's not. It's kinda like dealing with with, with some callers on talk radio. <laughs> Nonetheless, I can hang up on those. You can't as a you can as a lawyer with a client, but I digress. So what you do is is you activate these people, you, you get them you get them out there. When I was a lawyer, what I would do is I would go to the local boards of elections and I would actually do, and I, I still to this day sometimes do it in races because I, I one, I'm a nerd and two, I, I just, I like to do this. I like to keep my skills sharp in this regard. You go to the board of elections and you every, you know this, everybody has a precinct, you vote in a precinct. So what you can do with your board of elections is you can go find how many people are actually registered to vote in this precinct. See, there are 10,000 people in your precinct who are registered to vote. Now, go find a similarly situated race. Now, what is a similar situated race? Well, there's a thing called ballot drop-off. Ballot drop-off, you, you are all guilty of ballot drop-off. Most, well, I shouldn't say all of you. A, a lot of you are guilty of ballot drop-off. You go vote on election day you vote for president or governor, you vote for your Senator, you vote for your Congressman, you, you, you vote for the next guy. And you vote for the, and then you start getting down. It's like, who, who the heck is this? What, what? I, I got to vote for coroner. What, who, how, what is this person? What is this job? And you just, you give up. Say, I'm done. I voted for all the positions. I don't even know what this position is. Oh my gosh, I got to vote for a constitutional amendment. Nobody told me this. I don't know what to amend the constitution for. I'm not going to vote for that. You, you drop off. So you get down to state rep, for example, and, and you start the ballot and you got 10,000 people in your registered district. And 8,000 of those people actually turned out to vote and they voted for president. Well, by the time you get down to the state house races, 6,000 people are voting, 2,000 people have given up. So 4,000 people who registered to vote haven't even voted in this race. So what you do is you go find your similarly situated races. You run into the state house. On average, the last couple of times we've had this race here, 6,000 people voted. Okay. So if the, if, if there are the high end is 6,000 people have voted in this race, I need 6,000 plus one to win this race. So then you, go, you, you do that math. You know, in this precinct, I need 6,001 people to vote for me because that's the highest it's ever turned out for this race because the ballot drop off and people who are registered who don't actually show up, that's the number I need. So then you go to campaign sidekick and you say, all right, in this precinct, Show me all of the people who are voters. And it shows you all the people who are voters. It says, okay, now show me all the Republicans. And it shows you all the Republicans. Well, wait, what is it? Wait a second. There are only 5,000 Republicans. (sighs) Okay, show me all of the people who don't vote in primaries, but vote in the general election. Those people, you can't tell whether they're Republican or Democrat. They're independent voters. And now suddenly you've got an extra 2,000 people. All right, so there's seven thousand people. I need to go knock on all these doors, or I need to send the mail, or I need to find their phone numbers, and I need to do a robocall. And you can do that with this this app, Campaign Sidekick. It's what a lot of campaigns around the country are doing. You can you can. Find the voters that you need to get them to the polls. This is the way campaigns are run. You find out how many people per precinct you need, and then you begin to make a plan to get those people in those precincts to come do, uh, come work for you, and and uh, you need a campaign sidekick. And, it, again, this is not an ad. This is actually really cool technology that you could use. And um, I, I go through all of this dissertation to tell you that The polling in Georgia right now shows that the Democrats would win the state. Joe Biden would win the state uh, if the election were held today. The problem is the pollsters don't use a campaign sidekick. The pollsters just use the registered voter list for the state. And they don't go precinct by precinct. So pollsters may oversample, say, the metro Atlanta area. Or they, they may oversample, I don't know, they may oversample Dalton, Georgia. May, more people in Dalton, Georgia, are on this, and, and so it skews the poll. But what also skews the poll is that they're they're looking at registered voters and not people who are actually going to go vote. When you get into likely voter polling, the numbers adjust dramatically, and it's, it's so consistent in Georgia. Again, in 2012, Mitt Romney and Barack Obama at this time of year were tied. In 2014, Michelle Nunn and Jason Carter were beating David Perdue, and Nathan Deal. In 2016, Hillary Clinton was ahead of Donald Trump right now in Georgia. In 2018, Stacey Abrams was ahead of the Republicans in Georgia. And in 2020, surprise, Joe Biden is ahead. Georgia has a lot of different, and this this is why the Democrats salivate over Georgia. This is why there's so much media buzz about Georgia turning blue. Because Georgia has a lot of of registered voters who lean Democrat, but they don't actually vote. And Stacey Abrams herself could not get these people to go vote. And if Abrams can't get these people to go vote, there's no way that Joe Biden is getting these people to go vote. And if Joe Biden's not getting these people to go vote, when you see the polls that show that Joe Biden is ahead of Donald Trump right now, you got to remember that consistently the national polling tends to forget the lesson in Georgia, What you need to do in Georgia. Honestly, if you want to get a more accurate poll is you need to actually get not the list of registered voters. You need to get the list of people who actually voted in the last election. And pull those people and, and do a good spread in the state. You do want to concentrate in the metro Atlanta area because that is where the bulk of the population in the state resides. There's a way to do better polling in Georgia. The problem is that it's really expensive to do, so the national media doesn't do it. So instead, they continue to put out these polls that show, for example, Joe Biden is ahead of Donald Trump. It gets sensational national headlines, and they don't pay attention to the fact that historically that always happens in Georgia. And historically, the polls in May, June, July, August, even into Labor Day, never actually bear out in November because the Republicans in the state of Georgia tend to vote and the Democrats don't. And the Republicans have good technology they use, like campaign sidekick, for example, uh, where they can go drag people to the polls. They can find out who's voting. They can target them. They can get them to the polls. They can find out what interests them. They can even find out what your big issue is. Oh, you, you subscribe to Field and Stream. You're an NRA member. You buy guns regularly. Hmm, I bet you're a Second Amendment voter. Let me target you that way. The Democrats in Georgia just haven't taken the time to do that. Why? Because they spent so many years thinking, well, everybody's a Democrat in the state and the Democrats always win. They never invested in that infrastructure the way the Republicans have had to do to take the state. And thus far, they don't have the money now to invest in it and do it. And Stacey Abrams has tried, but she did a big voter registration drive thinking, hey, we got so many people in the state who should be Democrat. Let me go register them to vote. She got 980,000 of them to vote and none of them showed up to vote. Why? Because political inertia. People who have never voted won't vote. At the bottom of the hour, Mark Lauder from the Trump campaign is going to join me. He had been with vice president's office. He's now been reassigned, retasked to the campaign. Well, Joe Biden is out there saying also, y'all, I just, listen, I, I Joe Biden is a nice guy. You can disagree with him on everything and just acknowledge that that he, he, civilly speaking, Joe and Jill Biden are very nice people. Uh, Jill Biden spent a lot of time when she was the second lady of the United States working with wounded soldiers from Iraq and Afghanistan, and she never wanted the spotlight for it. In fact, she refused the spotlight for it. She never got the credit really that she's deserved for that. Uh, the stories from men and women who served overseas and the kindnesses shown to them by the Bidens are things that will be written about one day, but not now. The Bidens specifically have not wanted to do that because they haven't wanted to v- it be seen as politicizing it. They're very nice people. I just disagree with them on everything. And Biden is just he's getting old and like really old like the you know, the Donald Trump of today is the Donald Trump of 2016. The Joe Biden of today is not the Joe Biden of 2016. Construction continues through the pandemic and hundreds of millions of
2: dollars in contracts will continue into 2021 for new sections. So if you become president, what happens to that whole project?
1: It'll all be under reconsideration. I'm going to, from day one, uh, we're going to have a fund, I'm going to send to the uh, United States Congress a uh a an immigration plan to provide a pathway for legalization for 11 million undocumented people we are going to put ourselves in a position where daca recipients are made safe again so wall construction Thanks so ends, much that's our time for today well i didn't say that i don't know exactly where it is what face but we're not going to be spending a lot of
0: money in the wall what that's that's our, we're we're gonna give illegal aliens a pathway to citizenship. We're not gonna be spending money on the wall. That's our time for the day. Well, I, I'm I. It's just this is weird. This is weird. So you know the Biden campaign is designed. They're they're trying to do an FDR style campaign, which for none of, most of us were not alive uh, when Franklin Delano Roosevelt was president of the United States. But he essentially avoided campaigning around the country and, and campaigned on his front porch, which is what used to happen uh, a century ago in the United States is, is the candidates would campaign from their front porches and the press would come to them. And now because of the, the uh, pandemic, Biden can't go out on the campaign trail and he doesn't want to go out on the campaign trail. And, and he's I don't think he wants that level of exposure. He's been very, very guarded in his level of exposure. And he's got an American press corps that is so desperate for him uh, to become president of the United States, they're covering for him on all of this stuff. Um, I, 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 I do think, I'm trying to be careful how I say this, I really do think that. The media continues to discredit itself in the eyes of the American public, but more so, I think that the American public begins to tune out the media. And though I say that, I suddenly become mindful of, look, for example, at some of the damage done nationwide to the reputations of people like Brian Kemp by a media that claimed they were going to have blood on their hands. There are still a bunch of Democrats who listen to the media, and there are a bunch of independents who listen to the media, but increasingly... I don't know that that's going to last. And and the Biden campaign may be the complete undoing of the American media as they do their best to cover for him and not actually hold him accountable, not actually uh, hold him to his words. Look how quickly they've moved beyond the Tara Reid situation. You've even got Chuck Schumer coming out now and saying, "Eh, it's time to move on. We believe Joe. Don't believe her. Biden's out there saying, believe all women, just not this woman. The standards the media itself has set are coming undone, and I think most people are starting to realize that, even on the left. It is Eric Erickson here across the entire state of Georgia now, I'm picking up more stations. It's fantastic to cover the entire state of Georgia. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Joining me by phone is the Director of Strategic Communications for the President's re-election campaign, Mark Lauder, welcome. How are you, sir?
2: I'm doing well, Eric. How are you?
0: I'm great. So before you came on, in, in my last segment, I was talking about the Joe Biden campaign. And i got to tell you, Mark, it, it, it continues to strike me as almost elder abuse. I, I, half the time, I, I wonder if he understands what's actually going on.
2: Well, you have to wonder. And, and not only, I mean, just beyond this, this is so anti-American. I was thinking about this early. You know, I mean, this is a country of people that that tamed the open seas, came to the New World, explored the West, developed flight, went to the moon. Hiding and cowering in your basement is not a an American way of saying I want to be your leader.
0: Yeah, it's not, and I mean, I understand, given the situation, they obviously don't want him on the campaign trail, given what's going on in the country right now with the virus, but it's just, it's so weird, and, and to see him so guarded, I mean, the, the president, for example, does have a press conference at the White House, and it takes questions from all sides, many of the reporters hate his guts, who are asking him questions, and uh, Biden is, is curating the reporters who get him to ask questions, and then never even seems to understand the questions when they're asked
2: no it's definitely and look you know i get it it worked for them in the primaries because the more he talked the worse he did and and as i've said before look i mean the one thing we know is that the democrat party didn't settle on joe biden as a candidate they settled for joe biden as a candidate they realize he's a horrible candidate there was a reason why they left him for politically dead a couple of months ago it's cuz He's bad on the campaign trail, bad in interviews, and bad at fundraising. And so all of these things, none of them have changed. The only difference is, well, he's not Bernie Sanders, and he was the last one standing. Right. And now they're stuck with it.
0: <laughs> so they're stuck with the guy and i i think their big issue is is obviously going to be the president's handling of the virus and i'm beginning to wonder some of the democrats and their mixed messages on the economy uh yeah i almost get the sense some of them want people to continue sheltering in place just to make sure the economy can't rebound before november
2: well i would i would honestly hope that wouldn't be the case but i wouldn't put that i wouldn't put it past them and then when you take a look at it I mean he announced a bunch of, uh, of policy teams today in coordination with socialist Bernie Sanders being led by AOC. I mean it's clear that he is going to go to the socialist wing of the party for his policies, which encourage people to not do anything and just live off the government because then you, they have control.
0: Yeah, very much so. Uh, and so let me let me ask you about that. We've I, I haven't played the audio yet. I've got it queued up. But Biden wants to put Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, the woman who wants us all to become vegan, uh, in charge of the Green New Deal for an economy that's already been ruined by a virus. When everything shows that we would be spending more on the Green New Deal than we would on the virus.
2: Yeah, it really – I mean, and that is really a very telling uh, a t- a telling sign that they would rather focus and use this as an excuse to get their radical Green New Deal policies, which will drive up energy costs, drive people out of work. I mean, it would eliminate millions of jobs, and they don't seem to have a problem with that as long as it's the jobs that they like. And yeah. And I think one of the reasons why, as we go through this, and I've seen it just recently – some polling we did inside the campaign is that the more and more people see about Joe Biden, his soft policies on China, the fact he won't defend American jobs against China has really started to move the needle. The president's gained nine points in just the last couple of weeks.
0: I want to I want to ask you about that. Uh, but but before I do, on this Green New Deal issue, um how much of it do you think is a signal that there is some fundamental weakness on to Joe Biden's left, that he's got to bring in people like AOC and Bernie Sanders, who every poll I've ever seen has showed independent voters uh, sitting on the sidelines don't like these people, and yet Biden feels compelled to bring them in. And I, I'm just wondering if there's some underlying weaknesses there with the Democratic base in Biden.
2: Oh, you're absolutely right, Eric, and and you see that in the in the in the enthusiasm numbers. There is such an enthusiasm gap in a Democrat Party for Joe Biden because he is such a weak candidate, and so that's why you see most candidates, regardless of party, when they win their nomination, they move to the middle to start to go for the general right. election. Well, Joe Biden is so weak, he's still trying to run to the radical left because he doesn't have that side of his party sewn up, and.
0: While he does that, he loses the middle even more to President Trump. Yeah, looking that way. Now, to the China issue, Biden does have a very weak record on China. And the Democrats have been taking a a very hard line in public. But I don't really see any movement from any of the Democrats as aggressively as the president of the Republicans when it comes to having to deal with what's happening with China.
2: No, and this is where they're really misreading the situation, Uh, You know, not only in terms of the long-term economic problems that China has posed, that the president has been right on and Joe Biden has been on the wrong side of, but now you have a very public and very easily understood uh, problem that is China's fault, which is the coronavirus. You don't have to spend a lot of time convincing the American people that China is where this coronavirus started, They've hid the information from the world. And once again, while the president stands strong on China, you've got Joe Biden, whose son is getting paid by China, who's got a history of being weak on China, continuing to be weak on China. And that's why not only have we seen a recent surge in the president in terms of our internal polling, but when people have seen our ads and a lot of people are seeing our ads, almost 30 percent of people who see the ads about, China, about Joe Biden and China – say they are less likely to vote for Joe Biden. That is <laughs> wow. a huge number in politics.
0: Yeah, you know, you've got the media that has obsessed over the idea that Russia stole the election for President Trump in 2016. It just continuing to turn a blind eye on the China situation. I, I almost sometimes get the impression that the media would be totally fine if the election were stolen if China did it as opposed to Russia.
2: Well, I don't think they really care who steals it as long as it's a Democrat or a liberal that <laughs> win. Okay,
0: that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just the, the, the willingness of the media. I mean, for example, um, the Chinese and members of the media, CNN, MSNBC, the, it was called the Wuhan virus. And then the president calls it the Wuhan virus and suddenly it's racist the moment the president says exactly what the people on CNN and MSNBC were saying. And now they don't even want to engage on the issue of, for example, uh, Joe Biden's kid making money out of China.
2: No, I mean, the, the hypocrisy is, is it's nothing new. We have seen it time and time again, but it is on full display right now. You can see it when it revolves the China virus. You can see it when it involves terror Reid allegations. I mean, time and time again, I mean, you even have the New York Times editorial page running love letters and campaign advice to Joe Biden. Right.
0: <laughs> Fair point. Now, let me let me transition to the Mike Flynn situation, because I got to tell you, I'm 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 torn on the situation, but it it just seems like the more we learn about the FBI, an institution I have always just just held up as a good institution, there were James Comey may probably be one of the worst political actors uh, in modern American history and has not gotten enough due in the media for all the screw ups that he and the FBI made along the way
2: well and i I think your point is correct and first i I would agree with you and i would also say that the esteem and respect for the fbi needs to continue because of the hard work of the men and women of the fbi what we are talking about is by a handful of bad actors at the absolute highest levels of the obama administration including comey including folks at the do at the department of justice Uh, but that should not overshadow the great work that's being done by the rank and file but here's what we've got. I mean, we literally have the proof, the smoking gun, so to speak. You know, you've got Obama talking about know, who, about knowing about the calls between Mike Flynn, the incoming national security advisor, and the Russian ambassador. You have them targeting the police powers of the federal government on a political opponent, on their campaign, and the entire time knowing that there is absolutely nothing to The collusion stories, no evidence and lying about it in the media, but not lying about it under oath.
0: Well, you know, and we've also seen, I guess, in in some of the leaks that have come out now recently that you had a lot of people who were going on MSNBC and CNN saying that they had had proof of all this hanky-panky going on behind the scenes and then under oath saying oh no we we didn't actually it's just stuff we were saying on tv which i mean begs the question of how much more stuff are we hearing on tv that isn't true
2: well you have to ask yourself and look i used to be a journalist I, that's where i spent the majority of the first part of my career out of college before i got into public service and politics and so wait wait if, wait, wait wait. no
0: you got to stop right there Mark. so so a public service in politics is penance for having been a journalist is that right
2: <laughs> apparently yeah. <laughs> but what i but what i would say is that if if you are at the highest levels of msnbc and cnn the washington post and the new york times you have to ask yourself and you should be doing a very hard self uh self-introspection in terms of you got played by comey you got played by mccabe you got played by adam schiff you got played Lied to your viewers and lied to your readers.
0: Yeah, yeah, they really did. And it's just it, it I, I in my first hour on the show this morning I was talking about so much of the information from the media that's come out, even on the virus has just been wrong. And some of it's been wrong because the data was wrong. But so much of it, for example, in the last two weeks, the blood on Brian Kemp's hands in Georgia that he was going to have. And it turns out the virus hasn't rebounded. They do seem the media overall seem way more interested in getting Joe Biden elected president than actually telling the American people what's actually news.
2: And that's where I think the long-term damage is being done. And and I think that's where the media has got to look at itself and, and realize, are we going to go back to our true beliefs and our true mission, which is providing the facts to the American people and letting them decide, or are we going to put our partisan spin on it? And and here's, again, going back to the virus, a fundamental difference between liberals and conservatives and the media and, and others is that we trust the American people, the, the president, Trusts the American people to get the information and make the best decision for themselves in terms of protecting themselves, getting back to work, and, and, and taking personal responsibility where the, the government, the liberals, and the media would rather you cower in your basement with Joe Biden and hide until we tell you it is safe for you to come out.
0: Okay, Mark, uh, and for those of you just joining, I'm talking to Mark Lauder with the President's Campaign. Mark, I, I, this show now stretches from one end of Georgia to the other, from 9 to noon live, almost everywhere. Uh, what do you want the people of Georgia to know about the campaign?
2: Uh, that it's going absolutely very well. It's a long – still got six months to go, and every single person listening to this program is part of it. And what I would love you to do – is go to armyfortrump.com, sign up, let us know that you're out there, that you want to help reelect the president, or download our new app, Trump 2020. It's available on iPhone or Android. Sign up, be a part of the army that's going to cut through this liberal mainstream media nonsense and allow you to go talk to your friends, your neighbors, people at church, people at work, because that's how we get this. That's how we get this president reelected. It's not because of an ad that I can create or any interview that I can do, it's because of all of you out there.
0: You you know, okay, I I said that was the last question, but I got to say I'm glad you guys (laughs) are doing the app. And, you know, I remember in in 2008 and 2012, the fawning media profiles of the Obama's team use of technology. uh, I suspect we're not going to see that here, just as we saw Facebook was the hero in 2012, and suddenly because you guys dominated in 2016, Mark Zuckerberg's a villain. Uh, Just, again, media hypocrisy. But I'm glad you guys are using an app.
2: Oh, absolutely. And it's funny. I mean, every night of the week, we're doing online programming about eight o'clock at night. That's reaching a million, a minimum of a million people a night. Some nights it's two and a half million people, which actually gives us a larger audience than all of the programming on CNN. (laughs) <laughs> most of the programming on MSNBC, and meanwhile i mean joe biden is sitting there hiding in his basement with a rotary telephone you know trying to figure out how to make his record player work uh that's the difference between these two campaigns and it's really on display right now
0: yeah. apps versus messenger pigeons <laughs> carrier pigeons all right mark thank you very much for stopping by I appreciate it
2: oh it's good to talk to you eric
0: Mark Lauder from the President's Campaign. We'll be back with your phone calls here in a minute. You can call in if you want, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. All right. Now that I got my Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce and I've got my rec I will start sending out more recipes. I look, I promise I I'm behind. I actually scheduled a bunch and then forgot to actually schedule them. Right. And so I've already got some programmed in. If you want to start getting my recipes, I will make it a more regular thing. Text the word recipe to three, three, seven, seven, seven. I will send you recipes. I promise. I really will. Now I want to go to the phones. Joseph and Royston is calling. Uh, Joseph. Welcome. Yeah, hello there. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure.
2: I was just going to say that I think uh, Joe Biden's doing the right thing in terms of his campaign. The um, you know now is not a time, despite what Governor Kemp may say, that now is not a time to be doing things that are reckless. You know, it's well, uh, you know I agree nice with you for on to be that. Doing I- I wouldn't be on the events campaign or huge press conferences that uh, would be counterproductive.
0: I I agree with you on that. I I don't think he needs to be doing. I, I wish he would do better than the video interview things he's done. Um, he's had all sorts of technical problems. Well, you know, he could do more expansive video interviews with people and be less guarded in who he's picking. Um, his campaign behind the scenes, they haven't let him do a lot of interviews. I think he needs to do more, uh, with more journalists because right now I think, particularly if you're an independent voter, there's a lot of the polling out there suggests they think that Joe Biden is trying to avoid the tough questions on the Tara Reid situation. Uh, and so I think he needs to do more, uh, do more CNN. Uh, he, I'm not saying do Fox, uh, but uh, do more. C- he did. Um, he did Stephanopoulos. Uh, he did Mika Brzezinski on MSNBC, do more CNN, do Jake Tapper, do Wolf Blitzer um, and get a more stable Internet connection, Joe. But you're right, Joseph, that he can't do neither can the president. They can't do these campaign style events. And. Um, that was my, my one big area of disagreement with Lauder, uh, in what he said that you you just, you can't right now we're in shelter in place. Neither party can barnstorm across the nation right now if they want to, but he can do more stuff. Biden can also do events where people are pre-screened and socially distance. Uh, but you know, he did that, uh, online event the other day and like a hundred people showed up and then it wound up cutting out. The president's been doing these. You heard Lauder say they're doing these these eight p.m. events with the Trump campaign. They're getting two million people. Biden is struggling to get two hundred people. Now, interestingly enough, Bill Shearer, who's a left wing writer, has this uh, opinion column now at at uh, Politico magazine. It's interesting. He's a a contributing editor. He's a he's a uh, politi- he's a left wing guy. And the headline is, Why it doesn't matter that Trump is beating Biden online. Biden got the nomination because he won the argument. And better gadgetry didn't save the candidates who lost it. That's not really true. He didn't really win the argument. If Donald Trump's digital media operation is, as his campaign manager Brad Car- Parscale described it this week, a Death Star, the consensus seems to be that Joe Biden's digital presence more closely resembles Jar Jar Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> Trump has 80 million Twitter followers. Biden is 5 million. Trump's Facebook page is 27.5 million likes. Biden's less than 2 million. From mid-March to mid-April, Carl Rove noted in his Wall Street Journal column. Mr. Trump has seven times the social media interactions, 620 million to Mr. Biden's 87 million. Here's the thing. None of this really matters, and, and Bill shears right on that point. The real world and the online world are different things. But the ability take, for example, can we talk about plandemic? This is a perfect segue into plandemic. Uh, The Plandemic was that video that so many of you sent me asking my thoughts on it that circulated for only 48 hours on Facebook and YouTube before they took it down because it's full of crap. Uh, It it is a bunch of lies. It is uh, mostly features a woman who was arrested for stealing research out of her office. Uh, She's been thoroughly discredited by the scientific community repeatedly. She hates Dr. Fauci because he's one of the people who discredit her, but it tells you everything you wanted to hear and it looks like it was done professionally, so it must be true. I, I say again, if the idiot on the History Channel who says the aliens are to blame for everything was filmed in, in 4K and, and looked cinemagraphic, cinem- the cinematography was as good as in this video, people would really believe him. But it was all, a, it was a, it's a bunch of nonsense. It's a bunch of hooey. But look how quick it passed around online before it was taken down. And that's the thing that, that Sheer and these other guys miss. Nowadays, the ability to circulate memes and information and disinformation and responses online is rapid. And I had family members sending me that pandemic video. I didn't even know where they got it from. People were sending them links, They're saying, Did you see this? And it, it, it circulated by word of mouth and it got all sorts of millions of, of views. And the Biden campaign is missing out on that. The Trump campaign has the ability through their online platform, through their app and everything else to be able to connect. You know, I I haven't downloaded the Trump campaign app. I'm tempted to, but I bet one of the things it does is it's going to ask you for access to your contacts. And I would give it to them. And here's why. What the campaign is able to do is what Obama did in 2012 with their app. It gets onto your phone and asks you for your contacts. And then as your contacts begin to interact with the campaign... The campaign can reach out to them and say, Hey, you know, Erickson, he's interacting with the campaign as well. Maybe y'all can organize in your local area and help volunteer efforts. And it's a way of taking this massive online army offline. And that's something Biden's not doing. You see, the key here this is why I do the research together. We're not doing it this year because it's campaign season, timing, virus, everything else. But I intend to get back to it next year, and the reason why is because I think it's very important to take radio listeners and bring them all together face-to-face. Because you guys interact with me in radio, you send me emails and and direct messages on social media, you call into the program, but there's something to be said for communal interaction as well. And it builds a stronger audience over time when you do this, you're able to relate better. And the president has figured out a way to take his online presence and make it offline, and that makes him stronger as a candidate. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. I got an email from an angry listener who believes I cut off Joseph and Royston. It was not from Joseph and Royston, who, who I hope is still listening. Uh, I, I Yes, I did cut Joseph off but because there was background noise. Uh, and I needed to, to let him go because of the background noise on his the line. But uh, I agreed with his point, though. And, and apparently the listener was too busy being mad at me that I had to cut Joseph off because uh, of the background noise to realize that I actually agreed with him uh, that there isn't a whole lot Joe Biden can do on the campaign trail. But there are some things he can do. There actually are things Biden can do beyond uh, curated media interviews uh, with certain friendly members of the press. Although, I got to tell you, Mika Brzezinski is a friend of his, and and she asked him the tough questions, and she deserves the applause for that. Uh, Nonetheless, nonetheless, we need to move on to other things that aren't getting a lot of media attention. It makes you wonder why why, why, why is this not getting attention? Uh, Mike Garcia has won in the 25th congressional district of California. That was Katie Hill's district. She was a Democrat who was elected in 2018 and resigned due to scandal. She was having, um, uh, indiscreet relations in her office and was accused of sexual harassment. And and she wound up resigning. The media tried to make her some sort of hero. Um, and she's really not. But she left and they had a special election. It's a district that Hillary Clinton won in 2016. It's a district that the, uh, that, um, that the Democrats won from Republicans in 2018. And now it's gone Republican again. Mike Garcia, now, because of the way California works with mail-in ballots and stuff, uh, it's going to take a little while to confirm it. But uh, Mike Garcia is currently ahead 56 76% reporting. Uh, the outstanding votes in that district uh, are look like they will be friendly to him. Uh, the district was suburban Los Angeles. Uh, his opponent, Christy Smith, was endorsed by Nancy Pelosi, uh, Diane Feinstein, Kamala Harris. And it should have been a close election. And it wasn't. The Republicans won. And then there's Wisconsin 7 last night. Tom Tiffany won 57-42 uh, to 42 against Trisha Zunker, who was endorsed by Cory Booker, Tammy Baldwin, Elizabeth Warren, and the rest of them. And this is, this is Sean Duffy's seat. Now, this seat was predictably Republican. Uh, the Donald Trump won Wisconsin seven. Sean Duffy, you'll recall Sean Duffy, very nice guy, by the way. Um, I've always liked Sean and his wife Rachel. Uh, they've got I think seven kids, and and they are expecting their eighth, I believe. Uh, and they know that there is going to be some uh, physical difficulties with their their next child, so he had to step down from Congress. They are super nice people. Uh, he had to step aside, and you know this this is just it's it's interesting republicans are more energized than democrats right now i, I gotta tell you if the election were held today i do think biden could pull it off i do and the reason i do is because of the underlying uh, voter concerns regarding the president's handling of COVID 19. but the election's november and if the economy does begin to rebound the president is going to get as much credit for the rebound as he's gotten blame Uh, for for everything else, and the Democrats know this, which is increasingly why so many of them, it's not about stopping the virus. I mean, Dr. Fauci and everyone else has said, the virus is gonna be around a while. We're not gonna get a vaccine for at least a year. So the Democrats are taking this, we must all shelter in place and never ever be allowed to go outside uh, position because they're worried that the virus could subside, the economy could rebound, and the president could get reelected. Man, can we just, as an aside here, yeah, I, I did say that if the election were held today, I think Biden probably could win. November is a long way away. We're six months away. Can you imagine the meltdown from a lot of people if the president wins re-election? Can you can can you imagine that? I mean, it, it just wow. Um there's going to be an epic meltdown by not just members of the media but by a whole lot of people in politics if the president wins re-election. In fact, you can see what's happening right now on the left and and even among the the group of people who were republicans who hate Trump and they've decided like the Lincoln Project people who are supporting Biden. You could already see people who are so convinced the president can't win re-election that they're already laying down markers that they're the ones who caused him to lose. The reality is that's not the way it is. Uh, they're, they're trying in advance of the election to define the election. They're trying in advance of the election to define uh, how the president won or lost. It's actually kind of funny to watch um, because you've got this situation where uh, people, they don't really know. I mean, remember, all of the polling had Hillary Clinton consistently ahead of Donald Trump in 2016. The polling has Joe Biden ahead of the president now. Uh, we now know that the national polls are irrelevant to this because of the Electoral College. you got to look at the state polling, and the state polling actually shows that Donald Trump's doing okay in Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Iowa. Uh, there are some concerns in places like Arizona. There's actually a concern in a place like Texas. But a lot of those numbers have to do with registered voters versus likely voters. There There are explanations to those. And here you've got a race in suburban Los Angeles where the Democrats, Hillary Clinton, won it in 2016. The Democrats won it as a congressional seat in 2018, and it has flipped back to the Republicans in a special election. Now, I am one of those people, to be intellectually honest and consistent, I tell people all the time, special elections can only give you meaning for special elections. You cannot extrapolate from a single special election a trend. The only exception to that is if you have a series of special elections that that are consistent. So, for example, one of the best bellwethers for what's going to happen to the incumbent party is the Virginia State House, because the Virginia State House elections happen, and the uh, Virginia elections happen the year after a presidential election, an odd numbered election the year after a presidential election. And if those if the president's party, if the if the incumbent president's party goes, down in flames in Virginia, the odds are it's going to be bad the next year. So in 2016, Donald Trump wins. The Republicans maintain Congress. In uh, 2017, you have the Virginia elections and the Democrats, just uh, the whole state goes kablooey for the GOP. That was a precursor to 2018, and the Democrats doing very well. In addition to the Virginia race, what you also saw is a series of races around the country uh, that were special elections where the Democrats did well and should not have. Republicans lost seats in special elections, and that was a a consistent trend. The Democrats had momentum. So a single special election does not have a, a lot that you can draw from, but there's this, and this is the consistent part here. In all of the national polling, in the polling here in Georgia, in the polling in suburban Los Angeles, the enthusiasm among Republicans for uh, Donald Trump is greater than the enthusiasm among Democrats for Joe Biden. That is why, for example, the Democrats are so desperate to move beyond the KD or beyond the Tara Reid situation. Now, a friend of mine sent me some notes. Let, let, me, let me read you some of this. Um, a Democratic momentum does appear to have stifled. They had trouble in Wisconsin. Even though it was a Republican race, they didn't mobilize like people expected them to. Republican energy is similar in 2016. The Republican base is energized and is turning out. Conservative pro-growth candidate beat a big government Democrat in suburban Los Angeles. Donald Trump and his handling of the pandemic was not a drag on the two races. In fact, the base turned out big, And Garcia scored a victory in his congressional district. And again, it included suburban Los Angeles in an area that is Democratic. The attempted Democratic narrative was that Republicans are edging away from the president over his handling of the pandemic didn't pan out either. In fact, both Republican candidates in both races defended the president's handling. They were not punished by the voters. Now, one of the big players, one of the big winners in the race in California was the Club for Growth. The Club for Growth spent a lot of money. A million dollars in both races. They got involved with the candidate in Wisconsin. They got involved with the candidate in California. They spent $60,000 or, or Club for Growth members spent $60,000 to help uh, Garcia get elected. The Club for Growth PAC and Club for Growth Action uh, did uh, $247,000 in that race. Club for Growth continues to be one of the more successful political groups in the country when it comes to finding small government people to, to send to Washington, and this is this is going to get ignored by the me. You're not going to hear a lot about these races. You know the other thing you're not going to hear a lot about? Did we not just have a media cycle of fret and worry over Wisconsin having elections? I mean, it was just what? It was a couple of weeks ago where the media was all doom and gloom and disaster. We were gonna have disaster in Wisconsin. We can't have an election, we'll spread the virus. And you know what, there actually was some data that uh, the rate of the virus did uptick some in in, uh, parts of Wisconsin, but not as bad as the media predicted. And there was no outrage about in-person voting in Wisconsin. There was an in-person election in Wisconsin yesterday. You didn't hear the media outrage over it. Why why was there no media outrage over a special election in Wisconsin uh, because of COVID-19 when just a few weeks ago there was an election in Wisconsin and there was national media outrage over it? You know, you're not going to hear a whole lot of outrage or even coverage of what's happening in Georgia now either, are you? Two and a half weeks ago, the National Press Corps said Brian Kemp would have blood on his hands. Those were actual words. That was a hashtag that trended on social media. Brian Kemp blood on his hands. Stacey Abrams attacked the governor of Georgia. Democrats attacked the governor of Georgia. Here's Sanjay Gupta from April 21st on CNN discussing this no
1: Chris and I don't want to equivocate or waffle on this I mean we close late we, we might be opening early and and they're both problems I mean we we, we are clear that the virus is still out there we are clear that we are not ready it is clear what the guidelines are and that we haven't met them and it's also clear that a lot of people chris are frightened about this they're frightened to go out so you open up businesses but people are not likely to go is that doorknob safe did that person get tested has this place been sterilized what about the ventilation i mean all these questions uh, still coming up among people because people are you know they're understandably worried people are worried that look even if i stay healthy What if I take it and get somebody else sick? I would feel awful about that. I'd feel terrible if that happened. That's the sort of decisions that are being forced right now in the state. And, you know, I, I just find it hard to be charitable about this. I understand the governor has pressure on him from small businesses, although who's going to be going to these small businesses? This is a proposition where you're starting to run into almost all risk and almost no reward. It's a bad idea. Every public health official in the country has said so. Ambassador Burks, who's very polite, you and I both talked to her, she said this, she says, we've put out guidelines. We've tried to use the clearest data possible. There are still outbreaks happening. I don't see how you could cut somebody's hair or be in a nail salon and still physically distance. Maybe they have some creative ideas I'm not familiar with, is essentially what she said. She's being nice. What she should have said is, you shouldn't do this. You can't do this. These are guidelines. I get it. You can't mandate these things. But, you know, people could get infected that otherwise wouldn't. People may be hospitalized that otherwise wouldn't. And sadly, Chris, people may die that otherwise wouldn't. And I'm not an alarmist, as you know, but but that's the reality. Mother Nature is, is 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 showing us something right now. We have to behave as if we have the virus so we don't get sick and we don't get other people sick.
0: That was Sanjay Gupta on CNN, who, uh, by the way, I respect him tremendously. I, I've been on TV with him a number of times. He's a very nice guy. He lives in Atlanta. He is a doctor. A, he is a very smart guy. But, you know, he said Georgia didn't meet the guidelines. An Associated Press review now says Georgia actually is one of the few states that did meet the guidelines to reopen. And we're two weeks out. They said it would take two weeks for us to see. And you know, we could still. We, it, let, let me be very honest with you. Let me be real realistic with you. You should not go out and about as if business it, were all back to normal. You should not. You should stay home unless you need to get out. You don't need to go hanging out at restaurants. You can't go hang out at a bar. But the virus has not showed signs yet of rebounding. It still could. It still could. Give it another week and see. But the nightmare scenarios, the blood on his hands nonsense that was out there, you're not getting the media covering this now. That they, they want to cover the disaster. They want to attack the governor. That if if this race in California had been won by a Democrat, you would have nonstop news coverage today. That the Democrats held this race and because the Republicans won it, you're not getting the coverage of it. The media has become so much part of the resistance. And, and, you know, I spend most of my day now trying to weed out the good coverage for the bad coverage uh, for you guys. I, I think it's important that you recognize there are good reporters doing good reporting, and we do rely on the news. I couldn't do this show but for a lot of the news coverage that's generated by the mainstream media. But part of my job is to weed out the nonsense from the truth and to point out the hypocrisy and the double standard. If the Democrats had won that California race, you would have wall to wall coverage today, celebratory coverage. Hope is on the way. But the Democrats lost. And so you won't have that coverage. If the death toll, if the body count in Georgia was going up right now, you would have the media in a nonstop blame Brian Kemp frenzy. But it's not, it's going down. The virus count continues to go down, and so they're ignoring it. The very same media that told you Brian Kipp would have blood on his hands, there's no blood on his hands, so there's no reason to cover the good news. They only want to cover the bad news, and there's no bad news in Georgia right now. It is Eric Erickson here. Welcome the phone number. If you want to call in and be a part of the program and dazzle a statewide audience with your brilliance is eight, seven, seven, nine, seven, Eric, eight, seven, seven, nine, seven, three, seven, four, two, five. You know, Brian Stetler on CNN yesterday said that uh, Republicans are obsessed with the Russia situation, with the Russia investigation, with the Mike Flynn thing. He says Republicans are obsessed with Russia. What about Steltler?
4: So disappointing to look at what we're seeing from right-wing media these days where there's such an obsession with the deep state and these uh, revelations about the Russia probe. <laughs> the latest on the Robert Mueller Russia investigation. Mueller investigation. The Russian investigation. Trump's Russia ties. And Robert Mueller. The real Russia story. Russia probe. The ongoing Russia probe. Russia probe. The Russia investigation. But Mueller and the Russia probe. Russia synergies. They wonder if Russia has compromising information on the president. What is the source for the president's claim that they have found no collusion with Russia. He misspelled collusion. Every day, we're trying to keep track of the drip, drip, drip of the Russia investigation. Drip, 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 drip. drip. Trump and Russia to see whether Trump was secretly working for Russia. Bring it back to Russia and Russia and Russia. 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 Russia's Russia. 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 Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller. Special Counsel Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller. Mueller investigation. Mueller report. Russia conspiracy. Do you believe that he's colluding with Russia? I wish I could just say no. He's definitely not. That's crazy.
0: Thank you to the Washington Free Beacon for putting that together. Uh, you know, their-their headline was projection projection that uh, that the whole idea that the Republicans are obsessed with the Russia stuff. Notice how quickly the media wanted to move on from it after Mueller was not their white knight. For three years the media was invested in the idea that somehow or another uh, the Russians were to blame for everything. The Russians stole the election. It was all Russia, 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 all the time Russia and then it turned out not to be so. And it just, it's striking to me that the media was so emotionally invested in this and built it up. It was the beginning of the end. Remember, I've, I've played that montage for you in the past, uh, that, that tracked it over time, the beginning of the end. And it turned out not to be the beginning of the end. It turned out to be a big nothing burger and yet the media made it a big deal. And now Republicans are coming out, pointing out, as a matter of fact, that, hey, you know, um, it's it's really not that big of a deal. And, hey, by the way, it looks like the Democrats – We're engaged in a bunch of hanky-panky to try to make it a big deal, and we need to expose the people who were breaking the law to do that, who, who were violating confidential information, who were leaking confidential and classified information to reporters. We need to find that out. Now the media's like, oh, they're obsessed. They're obsessed. Why should we not be obsessed with the truth? I mean, that's what the media told us. Why should we not be obsessed with the truth? Amazing how they're turning to I got to tell you, CNN is disappointing me more and more, and I love CNN. Uh, they also ran a story, and I want to get into this when we come back. CNN ran a story, and the story was that 60-some-odd percent of Americans, let me read you the tweet, 68% of Americans say that a coronavirus vaccine is needed before returning to normal life. of Americans say this Before returning to normal life. A new survey finds. Well, turns out that's not what the survey actually said. CNN hyped the story that we can't leave our houses until until we have a virus. 68% of Americans say that, but that's not really true. They willfully misread the survey. And then they got mad. Various people at CNN got mad when you pointed out that they misread the survey. What did the survey actually say? Because it's relevant to our conversations here in Georgia as the governor reopens the state. We'll talk about it when we come back. Hello there. I want to remind you guys who need payroll protection uh, to go to First Liberty Building and Loan. They're in Noonan, uh, and it doesn't matter where you're listening to me nationwide. They can actually help you. But for those of us who are here in Georgia, they're actually local in Noonan, Georgia. I know the Frost family well. Good people. They've been doing this since the 1990s, uh, early 90s. They've been helping small businesses, and they can help you get into the payroll protection program. They can't guarantee it. No bank can. Uh, But there's still money in the program. Congress is looking to add more money to the program. So if you need to get into the payroll protection program, now's your chance. Uh, FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. Uh, Make it very easy for you. What you do is you go to FirstLibertyGA.com. There's an Apply Now button at the very top of that website. You click on Apply Now. And fill out the application, and then get your payroll in order. You got to show your your payroll, uh, whether it is your estimated quarterly filings or what have you with the IRS. Uh, you got to have proof of payroll. The Mister Frost says the the quicker you get that, the quicker they can get you processed. So get it done and uh, file your application at FirstLibertyGA.com. And thank you very much to them for their continued support of this program as well. Uh, I would be remiss in, in also pointing out Dynamic Money and Mrs. Griffin's are our regular sponsors. If you want to sponsor the program, you can go to EricEricksonShow.com and find out how. We're always open to more advertisers. Uh, now, there is this this data from CNN, and I'm 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 perturbed with CNN for a number of reasons of late. In particular, you know they Oliver Darcy, who actually is a is a good guy. I know him. He got his start at the Blaze. Uh, in conservative media. He transitioned into mainstream. He's at CNN. He's been very critical of conservative media of late. And he's got this thing on about Brett Baer. And I'm just, I, I'm, I'm upset. And, and I, I, maybe I shouldn't be, it's par for the course, I guess, these days, but attacking Brett Baer for having on guests that they don't like at CNN. Um, it's just, uh, for example, let's see, uh, you got, um, let, let, me find this piece. I know where is Joe, where did you write it? Do I not see it? Maybe I don't see it there. Um, yep. Okay. Here we go. Joe Cunningham at, at red state, uh, my old website. What's up with CNN's Oliver Darcy trying to attack Brett bear. It is difficult to figure out the true motives of CNN's media reporters, Oliver Darcy and Brian Stelter. On the face of it, they appear to just be attack dogs meant to knock right-wing sources of information. That's their whole act on social media and on television. But what motivates them to do so with passion that they bring to the job? Perhaps it's a lack of awareness. Do they not realize that while Fox News does have several opinion hosts, Brett Baer plays it far more straight than several of the so-called straight new guys at CNN? Guys like Chris Cuomo or Don Lemon, for example, or Brian Stelter. Yet attacking Bear is exactly the route that Darcy took last night on Twitter after Molly Hemingway made an appearance on Bear's show. How can This is what Darcy tweeted. How can Brett Bear be hosting a supposed straight news show while allowing Molly Hemingway to appear on the program and push this Obamagate stuff unchallenged with no opposing point of view? Is Darcy doing this out of jealousy? CNN has incredible growth in April's ratings, upwards of 150% of viewership, but it still wasn't enough to top Brett Bear. CNN just can't seem to top it. And since Darcy works for CNN, that's what he has to do, attack Fox News. Can you imagine that being your job? Spend all day watching a network you hate and tweet about it with the occasional television hit reminding you that focusing on them is your job and you hate them? Jealousy explains part of it, but it's much darker than that. CNN simply cannot compete in the ratings with Fox News right now because they've spent so much time making themselves out to be the resistance than a straight news network. So instead of trying to correct the ship from a journalistic perspective, they're trying to force the other ship, Fox News, to impose impossible standards on itself. Chris Cuomo on CNN routinely has on Andrew Cuomo, his brother, without another guest to challenge Andrew Cuomo. Chris Cuomo has not challenged the mistakes his brother has made, has not raised the specter of the deaths in nursing homes and the like. And it, I'm, I'm, I am I'm think CNN needs some self-reflection right now. Because the network really is spending a lot of time attacking Fox News. And by the way, Fox News deserves some of the criticism. Fox News is not pure in this. None of them are. But to make the case that Bread Bear can't have on Molly Hemingway who has been a a big critic of the media for a number of years. She's been consistent on this stuff. And to have her on to talk about uh, how the media views this, by the way, to point out CNN's obsession with Russia. CNN itself has been obsessed with Russia for a very long time. And it's just baffling to look at this and not recognize the fact that CNN itself has been hypocritical. CNN itself has been obsessed. And then to attack them, attack Fox for pointing out that obsession. Y'all I'm disappointed in a lot of media outlets these days that should know better And CNN is one of those, frankly, that should know better. You had Michael Avenatti being taken seriously by, by Brian Stuttler, being given a platform. You got the beginning of the end nonsense that they had forever. On You've got the, the champion of Greta Thunberg. You know, CNN is going to have Greta Thunberg on a panel as some sort of expert on coronavirus. What sort of expert is she on coronavirus? She's not. And yet they're focused on it. I dare say they are obsessed about it. And they want to hold Fox News to a different standard. They want Fox to be held to a different standard than every other media network because they want to discredit Fox in the eyes of its viewers. But look at CNN. I, let's go back to this, this headline. CNN towned the 68% of Americans say a coronavirus vaccine is needed before returning to normal life a new survey finds. Except that's not actually true. The headline is different. 60, what's actually true in the polling is 68% of Americans say an available vaccine is very important before returning to, new li- to normal life for them. In fact, here's the actual question. How important are each of the following factors to you? when thinking about your willingness to return to your normal activities. 68% say the available availability of a vaccine. Now, it's, it's important, it is important for those individuals to return to their normal activities, but it's not needed, and that's what CNN said, that a vaccine is needed. Now, here's Mediaite's coverage of this. It should go without saying that neither the actual measure in the poll of willingness to return to normal activities or CNN's rewriting of returning to normal life are especially scientific measures in their own right. But if you decide to go back to work and school before there's a vaccine, perhaps avoid crowded dance floors that could be considered not resuming normal activities. It's a wide range of definitions. Even worse, other survey questions make the CNN headline even more blatantly wrong. As an example, ARC digital editor, Nicholas Grossman, noted the CNN item, uh, said there were two Gallup surveys. He wrote, one question asked, how soon would you return to your normal day-to-day activities if there were no government restrictions and gave four options? The most popular answer is, after the number of new cases declined significantly, getting 40%. The least popular answer was after a coronavirus vaccine is deployed. That's only 9%. Claiming that the survey shows that 68% of Americans say a vaccine is needed before returning to normal life is egregiously misreading the data. It's true. But it's also designed to attack the president. It is also designed to attack Brian Kemp. CNN is playing a part in the resistance. When they're blasting Brett Baer, an objectively good journalist for having on a guest that they don't like while keeping their mouth shut about Andrew Cuomo being on Chris Cuomo's show and never being asked about the deaths in nursing homes and his policies that have caused it. Stop telling me that there's something wrong with Fox news. There's something wrong with the media as a whole, but there's a bigger issue here. Do you know more people are going to listen to me right now today, this morning, More people, I'm only syndicated in the state of Georgia right now. We we have yet to cross the state line. And more people are going to listen to me right now than will watch a CNN show today. That's just a fact. More people will listen to Rush Limbaugh for five minutes today than will watch Fox News or CNN or MSNBC. Yet CNN and MSNBC—they they don't bash Rush Limbaugh show. They don't bash conservative talk radio. They bash Fox News, and the reason is because, well, it, it's it's their bias. They're they're in in TV. They think TV is the most important. But more people are going to listen to what Rush Limbaugh says today than will watch Fox News at the same time. More people will listen to me right now than will listen to whatever's on CNN right now. That's that's just the data. And the reason they don't focus on that is because really this is about ratings to them. This isn't about truth. And that's what you need to understand. It's never really been about truth for any of them. The truth is that conservatives, by and large, get a lot of their information from the Internet and talk radio, not so much from Fox News. To the extent they get information from Sean Hannity, they they gather it from his radio show and it's reinforced on his TV show with largely the same guests and same conversations. But it's it's that. It's there. But they don't want to cover it. They they don't want to recover it. They, they They don't want to focus on it. Because this has never been about conservatism. It's never been about what conservatives say it's never been about alternative media reality. It's been about CNN's getting their butt kicked in the ratings by Fox and they're mad about it. Maybe if CNN didn't have hosts who speculated on TV about black holes swallowing up triple sevens, maybe they wouldn't be in this mess. Maybe if CNN didn't have hosts on who gave fawning interviews to their brother without asking tough questions and then savaged Republicans, maybe it wouldn't be in this problem. Maybe if CNN didn't have a host on who lectured people about breaking quarantine when he himself break, broke quarantine, maybe he wouldn't have this problem. Maybe if CNN reported on the news and spent less time obsessing about Fox News, it wouldn't be a problem. But they don't want to do that. Y'all, I, listen. I I I could spend more. I I shouldn't. I I should move on. And and I don't want to give the impression that I hate CNN because you know I I actually do like CNN. I've got a number of friends of mine who work at CNN. I have great respect for Anderson Cooper and Jake Tapper and Wolf Blitzer and John King and Gloria Borger and Dor- Dana Bash and and John Berman. Um, but let's also not forget CNN ditched Dave Briggs, who's an awesome TV presence, uh, for uh, what's her name's da- daughter, um, Valerie Jarrett. They they ditched the white dude for Valerie Jarrett because they they had to get the they, they needed to have an all women morning show. They couldn't have a man and a woman. So much for diversity at CNN would would blast Fox News for doing the same thing. And then they put on Valerie Jarrett's daughter. That kind of tells you where Jeff Zucker wants to go with the network. You're hiring Valerie Jarrett's daughter and, and you're tossing guy. by the way, who had been at Fox News as the weekend Fox and Friends host and then went to NBC Sports and then went to CNN, was there for years. Great guy, by the way. Great anchor. And they had to toss him for Valerie Jarrett. That that should tell you something about uh, what CNN's doing these days. It wants to be MSNBC without the taint of MSNBC. See, MSNBC now, it's, it's, it is uh, aggressively – left wing and CNN wants to be left-leaning just not aggressively so and that's why it's not doing well on the radio. it's got a pick you know CNN could actually be a straight news network again I mean they've got all the talent there they've got Tapper they got Blitzer they got King they got Borger they got bash they got John Berman. Uh, they've they got um, Christian, Christian Romans. They, they've got a number of really great anchors at CNN. They've got a lot of really good uh, talent at CNN. Phil maddenly they've got fantastic people who are just journalists. You may not like them. You may think they're biased. They're really not that biased. And to the extent that they are, they know their biases and they try to compensate. But then you got the Don Lemons and you got the Chris Cuomo's of the world. You've got the the Bill Weir environmentalist, uh, we got to get away from Christianity because it's killing the planet nonsense guy. You got the CNN the, the activists, you got the Brian Stetlers of the world. They're trying to split the baby in this, and it's not working. Solomon knew, Solomon knew that uh, the real mother would never want her baby split. Jeff Zucker is perfectly willing to split the baby, uh, which suggests that Jeff, Jeff Zucker really isn't that committed to the news industry. I don't know what he's committed with given the ratings. Remember when Zucker came to CNN and, and they went wall to wall with the missing Malaysian jet and, and there was something else and they just went wall to wall with it. People were saying this is nuts, but there was a ratings blip but, Oh, Jeff Zucker. He's a genius. He's going to beat Fox news. Except he didn't, he didn't beat Fox. And so now what? what's he doing is just, he's turned his network into an anti-Fox show. <gasps> I can't believe they're doing this at Fox news. Fox news lives rent free in their Rupert Murdoch lives rent free in Jeff Zucker's head. It's just, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny when you think about it. The media built him up as, as so excited. He was he was going to turn around CNN and they were going to, it's just like the Today Show. Except he didn't. And so then he made the strategically miscalculated mistake of becoming MSNBC light. You can't go all in on crazy and pretend not to be crazy. That's the problem. All right. Um, all right. I, gotta, I haven't even seen this. Philip sent this to me. You can blame him. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm opening this. We're reading this together. Charlie has closed the phone lines now. He says you're not allowed to call anymore, at least not for today. You can't tomorrow. Here, here's, the, here's the headline. On its return, baseball must deal with one messy issue, spitting. The sight of a player standing on a baseball field spitting like he's the world's grossest garden fountain may now be endangered. Spitting has been banned in Korea as part of baseball's return there in the age of coronavirus, and certainly the habit will need to be addressed here before Major League Baseball resumes. This no longer is a matter of taste or civility. Now it's a public health issue. Spitting is a pandemic's relay, man. Never let a crisis go to waste! <laughs> Dare we dream of the day when the long idle minutes of baseball are not punctuated by great foamy expectorations from every facet of the diamond of when a dugout is not rendered an EPA Superfund site nightly by the sputum of those who have tapped into an unnatural and unending supply of it. Where does it all come from? It really didn't require a global health crisis to fix baseball spitting. I didn't know they had a spitting image. I mean, they're the spitting image of baseball. This is just, this is ridiculous. There aren't too many. Pablo Picasso once said, if I spit, they will take my spit and frame it as great art. There aren't too many Picassos on a ball field, although Greg Maddox came close. So there goes any aesthetic excuse for the panoramic display of digestive juices. Were you were you were born I, I have no were you were born in the nineteenth century and dependent upon chewing tobacco to keep your mouth moist during all those day games on dry and dusty fields, then a certain amount of spitting is understandable. Otherwise, here in a time where we're supposed to be discouraging tobacco use in any form, just keep your mouth shut. Oh good lord, what a ninny! Who is this person? Steve Hummer writes sports features for the AJC. He covers a wide range of sports and topics. Come on! Uh, 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 uh. And he, at the end, he's blasting the scratching on the. I'm sorry, they wear a cup. It gets itchy down there. Have you never done that? Good gracious, people! Suddenly, the we can't have baseball return if they're spitting the virus. <laughs> Uh, Never let a crisis go to waste. We can't have baseball players scratching their crotches and spitting. That's too manly out there. Next, we're going to have to let the women on the field, too. (laughs) No softballs out there.
4: (laughs) Oh, boy.
0: Oh, you know, there are some absurd things being written out there right now i i this is one of them let's see where, where's this Where where's this um hear tell that tom sawyer was a prodigious spitter per mark twain's accounts that earned the great respect of his peers but surely even twain would be amazed today and slightly put off by a one-week tour of the of the national league east Enforcement and punishment of any anti-spitting ordinance will be fun to watch and surely fodder for another baseball statistic. Times caught spitting. They'd be taking on such a common reflex action. It will be like trying to outlaw snoring at a foreign film festival. Hopefully, offenders will be made to clean up and disinfect after themselves. The poor grounds crew has had to deal with players emissions long enough. Goodness gracious. Can we not just get baseball back, please? I just got my Braves license plate. I'm, I'm ready for the game. Do we really, do we really, really have to ban spitting at baseball now? Is that going to be the next major? They spit, it. they could be spreading the coronavirus. Come on, people. (sighs) Some people have too much time on their hands.